1: to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: We are taking a short break over the holiday season, and so we're using the opportunity to revisit some of our favourite interviews. This week's is from Tamsin Greenway. Tamsin has timeless insight on culture and the drivers of motivation. Her interview has been one of our most played, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there.
2: This is a chance, a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all
0: on the same team. Know your role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again.
1: Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight.
0: Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey, and you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast where we explore leadership through the lens of high performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help us all lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Tamson Greenway. Tamson is a retired netball player and now coach. She's represented England on 67 occasions and along the way was part of the team that won bronze medals at the 2010 Commonwealth Games at the 2011 and 2015 Netball World Cups. In the English Super League, she's won seven championships, four as a player and three others as a player coach, a coach and a team director. Tamsin now works as a commentator on Sky Sports and in 2020, she was appointed head coach of the Scottish national netball team. Tamsin is a passionate coach with a deep appreciation for the influence honesty can have on team dynamics and performance. She is self-reflective, and committed to learning and developing, which is evidenced by her amazing career journey so far. She's also determined, optimistic, and a firm believer that in her words, as a female coach, your life doesn't stop because you have children. The key parts of this discussion for me were that good team cultures are always evolving and changing, so they're difficult to describe, but they are the places you wanna be, even if you have had your worst day. How her experience as a playing coach taught her about the need to separate herself a little from the players to gain perspective, and then use this to help better manage the players and her own emotions. And that winning is not always the end goal for people in the team, and you need to take the time to understand why the athletes are there and what they want to achieve along the way. This was a wonderful conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. The Great Coaches Podcast.
1: Tamsin Greenway, good afternoon and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: We're very excited to talk a little bit of netball. I have two daughters and they are playing amongst themselves here in Prague because there's no league, but they do enjoy listening to the stories that the coaches have to tell. So thank you for joining us. Could I start with a really simple one? Could you tell us where you are in the world and what you've been up to today?
2: Yeah. So I am in, I'm in England, I'm in Sussex currently in what is our third lockdown now in the UK in the last 12 months which is just insane so my days are slightly different at the moment I I did actually fly in from Scotland yesterday I've I've still been managing to work internationally just because sport has still got the exemption and and we're we're operating in bubbles so I'm very lucky like that but I've been tapping away at my computer analyzing looking after the kids that kind of thing but yeah a very random time for us all in in England probably over the last 12 months.
1: Well, we're thankful for you to pull yourself away from your computer screen so you can spend more time on a computer screen talking to us. Tamsin, I would like to start by just winding the clock back a little bit, actually, because when I was researching and reading through your resume, you've had access to some great coaches. There's Jan Crabtree, there's Jess Thrillby, and of course, Lynn Gunson. From this experience, what is it you think that the great coaches do differently?
2: I think the standout from that was Lynn Gunson. And she, we used to call her the Netball Oracle. And it's so weird how uh, I chose to go to Bath University when I was 18, purely for the Netball program. Didn't know much about Lynn. I'd met her once or twice. Scariest lady I'd ever met at the time. But it's amazing to think how our relationship, I ended up staying eight years in Bath and training with her the whole time, and how our relationship evolved and changed. And we became really good friends. But we called her the Netball Oracle because she just thought about the sport so differently. She, single-handedly changed the game of netball over here in, in England. If you look at some of the players that England ended up producing, your Jeeva Mentors, your, your Pam Cookies, and you go on to the, the newbies that are still in there, your Serena Guthrie's, they've all had impact and influence from, from Lynn. And she brought about this honesty that I don't think we'd ever had in the country before. And it wasn't honesty in that you weren't good enough. It was, you weren't good enough, but this is how you're going to get better. And she... Introduced a culture that we we'd never been through before and it was tough I mean we used to laugh because we laugh about it now but she used to do a weekly meeting with the players that were at Bath at the time and you'd be going and going I'm not going to cry I'm not going to cry I've done everything I need to do this week I am on top of my game I'm literally going to nail this meeting and then you go in and she'd go oh, I heard her your next door neighbor's cat's died and you just burst into tears you know she had this way about her that she could just pick at your emotions and want you to be a better person and a better player but she also told you how to be, and it was straight talking a lot of the time and it wasn't easy, but she changed that whole aspect for us. And she made me see the game in a way that I'd never seen it before. I actually say sometimes she ruined the game for me because it was almost like I never met anybody else that thought like her that I worked with again for such a long time. And so she was, she was pretty special.
1: Well, talking about pretty special and uh, having straight talk. When you were 10, I've read here that you went up to your mum and you said, I know what I'm going to be, mum. I'm going to be a netball player for England. Of course you did. You went on to represent them 67 times. So I imagine when it comes to self-belief, straight talk, honesty, it's a large part of who you are. But for many athletes, it's not. And I wanted to ask you, have you found any ways that are better than others for helping people deal with self-doubt?
2: It was funny when I was thinking about this. I... I guess I do have a lot of self-belief. I hadn't really put myself in that bracket, but I think whether it's self-belief, self-determination, or just an idea of what and who I want to be, I've kind of always gone along that path and I'm quite happy to talk about it. So that kind of stuff comes easy to me. That doesn't mean I've never doubted when I've gone out to court or we've played a game. Of course I have, and and it's something you recognize all the time with athletes. One of the things I've learned, especially through through my coaching is how everybody operates slightly differently. So just because certain things have worked for me, you can't just tell people to be, you know, confident. It's okay to be like this. It's all right to do that and just expect them to do it. I remember being at Wasps and I'd, I'd brought in um, a player called Nat Hayston who I'd wanted to work for for ages and I'd had to beg her to come to me. And um, we talked about not only her performing at Wasps, but getting into the England squad and being the starting player. And I was like, you, you are the best women attack England have got. Like you're going to be this person. And she's such a sort of shy, lovely, inner character. And I remember talking to her going, right, I'm not on the court. I need you to be the cocky one, the one that's getting stuck in, the one that's giving teams grief and doing this and doing that. And we had a chat and she was like, fine, I'm going to give it a go. And she went out in the first quarter and gave a bit of back chat to a defender. And I think she came off the court and she went, I didn't like that at all. I said something. They said something mean back. (laughs) I went, right, we're going to have to deal with this another way. And so, it kind of, it was a lesson learned that when you're trying to build somebody up, it's got to be within their own personality. So for her, the connection with the team was what gave her the confidence, the high fives, the bum taps, the, the smiling, the, you know, this is good guys. It was that kind of thing that helped her believe that she was playing really well and doing a really good job. And so I've learned that across the board that everyone operates slightly differently. So you've got a way to figure out what it is. That they're having the self-doubt about and then you've got to make it work for them in their own way which can be difficult at times and honestly tough for players especially in certain positions shooters high pressure positions it can be any trigger that something goes wrong and you know missing a shot losing a big game people watching it can be all kinds of things but i think really delving into how that person ticks is the first key to figuring out how you can help them with their confidence
1: You were captain of the Surrey team, and you actually transitioned very quickly into this role. You became the coach, you were the captain, then you became the coach. It all happened seemingly overnight, and yet in 2015 or 2016, you go straight on and win the championships. And so I wanted to ask you, what advice do you have for others on transitioning from being a team member into a leadership position?
2: Well, I have to accept that I was – bloody terrible coach to start off with that first year we made the final so I I went in after my my season play and know the coach was leaving and said I can I can do this don't hire another coach hire me I can do it and they went okay and they took a massive punt on me and and I got the job I what I underestimated was how difficult the player management side was because I'm quite breezy about stuff in terms of you just turn up and you train and you play because you love it. I hadn't quite realized the ins and outs, how players tick and the impact of me being mates with teammates. So then going into a changing room, reading myself out on a team sheet. So I I think that first year, I do remember we made the grand final and we were drawing at halftime and I went in and went mental at everybody. We're not playing well enough. Basically be better. Like what an awful speech we went out and we lost by a couple of goals I felt it was like the end of the world, but it was actually the turning point for me. And I realized then that, A, I had to control lots of things about me being a player and a coach. I had to be able to separate both. And the players needed time away from me. I couldn't be on their WhatsApp groups and be in with the huddles and do all this stuff if they didn't need to. And so at each team I've learned to really judge what the group need and how you're going to implement yourself into that. And just bring that honesty because it is tough managing players' emotions when you're a certain way and then stepping out onto the court with them as well. So that was probably the the biggest, biggest part. And I've definitely learned on the job as we've gone along. Um, and a lot of that came from the trust from the players that they trusted that I would put myself on when it was needed. I'd take myself off when it was needed. And I was my biggest critic. So although they were getting the hard times at, at points, they knew that I was also doing that for myself.
1: And was there someone that helped you un- extract that learning and then adjust your behaviors?
2: Mm-hmm. No, I'm really quite self-reflective. I've always been sort of taught to be to be honest with yourself, which I think that's where the, the belief comes in. Because if you are honest about things that you're good at and not so good at and where you need to improve, you you can have that almost air of confidence. So there wasn't necessarily anybody that pointed it out. I do remember after that first game, after that grand final losing and all the team had gone and I sat there upset, with the team hamster, that was our, that was our mascot. We had a team hamster in this changing room, just me and the hamster and my mum coming in and just going, this doesn't define you. This is how you move forward. And this is what you've got to understand. She went, forget the emotion of losing and do what you do best. Break down the game, understand what worked, understand what didn't and move forward. And I think that was, that was the biggest thing for me. It was, it was separating my emotion from what I was trying, what I was trying to achieve. And I think it's hard, don't get wrong. It's hard at times, but I think when you can start to control that a little bit more, understand what the team need from you and sort of gain that honesty, you can be a successful player coach. And I actually think it can be easier because you can almost influence when you're on the court, which for a lot of coaches, they've had that moment where they're sitting there going, I just, I just don't know what I can do. And yet I've been in positions where I'm like, oh, I know what I can do. I can put my trainers on and get on the court. And so I think it can be easier at times, but only when you you get to that point where you understand how the team ticks.
1: So in 2016, you take this learning and you head off to Wasps and you start up the franchise and then more success follows because you promptly guide them to two successive Super League titles. When you got to Wasps, what were some of the first things you did that drove this result?
2: So the first thing I did was I wrote a a dream list, which i would never been able to do before. I think it's really funny because when you go on a journey and when you get success, people pick up at the successful point, they don't pick up at the journey that happened before. And I think what people forget is, you know, I took over at Storm in 2012, I made three grand finals, lost all of them before we won. And at that point, there were players there that I'd asked to come and play for me that that wouldn't. I was an unknown coach. They knew me as a player. They didn't quite want to leave. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. It took time for me to, to gain that sort of respect as a coach, which is definitely what you need. And it's hard for any young coach starting out going, yeah, yeah, come and play for me, you know? So I guess... When I got to Was for the first time ever, I could write a dream list of who I wanted. And several of those players were from Surrey Storm. And the conversations I had when I was leaving Surrey Storm, I've been really honest with them. They t- were told way before the end of the season. And some of the key players were told as well, because... It's a massive life decision for netballers. It's not just about, you're not getting paid thousands and thousands of pounds. So who you play for and the coach you play for is really important. So I'd had big conversations. And when I got to wasps, I was like, this is who I want. There was the key players from storm that I played with and coach for years. And then there were little snippets and pockets of people. I wanted a George Fisher. I wanted Nat Haythornthwaite. I wanted Sam May and I pretty much got everybody on my list. And that was the first thing. The second thing was to get everybody to buy in. So, you know, Wasps were big on rugby. They'd got this netball thing. We wanted it not just to be for show. And the relationship I struck up with the CEO, David Armstrong, was just invaluable because he genuinely bought into the sport and bought into the game. And without him, I just I just couldn't have done it. And, I mean, we were going around looking at the density of sprung court floors. They're going to me what, what does a sprung floor need to look like? I was like, I don't know. Let's Google it. Like, how the hell? They brought me in to do everything so we quickly brought together this team of people I brought on Mel Mansfield my assistant coach that I'd worked with years before because I wanted someone that I just loved and trusted and she jumped at it and yeah and it kind of became us against the world and I think that's how it felt right from the beginning people were excited because it was something brand new we were getting all the media people involved and so we built up this little team of people on and off the court that just suddenly had this passion for netball and it kind of just spiraled. I mean, it nearly killed me. It was the hardest year of my life. I had loads of stuff going on off the court in terms of family stuff and it was draining, but it was well worth it at the end.
1: Two championships, very, very difficult to get in anyone's career, particularly back-to-back. In reading about you, in just about every interview, the word culture comes up and you talk about it as being central to what you bring as a coach, but it doesn't necessarily break apart what the... Some people use the word trademarks or the values or the elements of what a high-performing culture is for you. So I'd like to ask you if you could unpack it for us a little bit and tell us what's really central to it for you.
2: I remember getting asked this question in a a very high-profile interview for a job that I went for. And and when I gave the answer, it was just sort of, well, but explain, like, what is it? And I think anybody that's been in a good culture – can't write down what a good culture is because you shouldn't be able to because it's constantly evolving it's constantly changing but you know at the time it's something special you want to be there you want to buy in even when you've had the worst day of the world that's the place you want to be with the people you want to be giving up the time especially in netball and so I always base the culture for me starts around it being honest and truthful and not in a lame way, but just the point where you can A, be yourself and B, people get to a point where they trust the truths that you're talking about to the point where you can almost blag it as well. I remember hearing an interview about Jose Mourinho once where they were going, you'd walk into the change room at halftime and you'd be lo- losing 3-0. And it'd be like, well, this is the plan. Like, this is what I wanted it to be. We're losing 3-0 because in the, in the second half, we're going to win 4-3. Like, that's what we wanted to do today. And people, players would genuinely buy in. And I think if you can get to a culture where um, you are honest enough that everybody kind of gets where you're trying to go, even though they don't necessarily know how, it works, it clicks, but you've got to have the right mix of people. And it takes time to get that trust from people as well.
1: It's a great answer. And I, I love the idea of a description being, it's where you want to be when you're having the worst day ever. It's it's <laughs> I haven't heard anybody say that, but it's so true. I'd like to... Continue on this theme of culture, though, because I've got this quote from you, and I'd, I'd like to read it to you if I can. And you say, a winning team has the best team environment and different mixes of personalities, and people can really disrupt that quite quickly. So I wanted to follow that up and say, you know, when it comes to managing these disruptive influences within a team, have you found any methods that are more effective or better than others?
2: It's a very dangerous game when you get someone disrupting your culture because it can quickly escalate and take over. And especially when you're having periods of of low points, which there always are through a season. No one just goes from here to here and here. Even if the results are happening, there's always stuff that's happening behind the scenes, whether it be injury or selections or whatever it is. I think in the early days, I tried to please everybody. So I tried to take things on board and try and change it and adapt it for certain people. I learned very quickly that there's always people you can't please and are not going to work in the environments in the way that you want. And the luxury I've had as I've, I've gone along in my career is that you can start to wind that out. You can push to the side and, and carry on with the group that you need to moving forward. And I, and I think that's really genuine. Yeah. Not everybody would like the style or the way that I play or work or, or act, and that's absolutely fine any successful thing in business, in music, in sport, in whatever you're looking at, it because a group of people come together that either challenge each other or are on the same page or are going in the right direction. So I don't think you can be, you should be afraid of if people don't, don't fit into that kind of culture environment to go, well, this is just not working. This is not how it's going to be. And I think I've definitely learned to do that rather than please everybody as we've gone along. And sport is quite a ruthless environment as well. And so I think at the end of it, when you have disruption like that being honest and upfront and actually having those conversations is far better than trying to just change things and tweak things for that individual as the season progresses I think it's kind of natural two or three years go by in a team there's a a natural turnover of players and I don't hang on to anybody in a team or beg anybody to stay that I think is becoming disruptive because actually I think when it's got to that point it can either filter through the team or you can have that respectful conversation where it's going it's not working for me it's not working for you Let's go on and do bigger and better things on our own. And so that's kind of probably the way I deal with it more now. And when you have to deal with it up front, I'm very direct, honest, and this is kind of the way it's going to be. Because whenever you're in a team, there has to be a bigger picture. It can't just be about one individual. Even if it's the best star player, it can't ever just be about that. And now that doesn't mean I'm not understanding for real issues and real things. But I think... Once someone stops believing in where you're trying to go and what you're trying to do, you have to be able to move on from that. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. For everybody's sake.
1: Well, talking about the bigger picture, you've just taken on the job as head coach in Scotland. And when you had your first discussions with this new team and you were setting this bigger picture vision, what messages... Did you give those players, and what questions in turn were you asking them?
2: So we we had when we finally got together. We did a lot of online stuff before we finally had our first group meeting. We had a, a big chat about culture, about honestly about things we wanted to change, where we wanted to go. And I I asked them. I repeated my story of you know I was ten years old. I knew I wanted to play for England. What made them play for Scotland? And it was quite interesting because it was there were some very different stories. There were a couple of players in there that but desperately wanted to always play international netball. And there was a few players in there that just played because they were good. So I figured we'd spin it and go, okay, so after our legacy, after 10 years, when a lot of you guys are walking out of the door here in, in in Scotland, what do we want the next group of players to be sat here talking about? Like what legacy do you want to have left them? What does this look like for you? I'm passionate, but realistic. I think there are mass improvements that can happen to all of those teams sitting between sixth and 12th in the world because a lot of it is exposure, a lot of it is training environments, opportunities, which is very exciting. But at the same time, the players have got to be on that journey. They've got to decide what that looks like. And when they started talking, you know, they wanted to be sitting there going, Well, this kid that's walking in the door now playing for Thistles is playing because she watched me when she was 12 or 13 years old and said, I want to do this. And so I think. When you begin on a journey, it's it's so important to a, understand why the players are doing it, but also understand what you want to achieve along the way. And it's not always just winning or the end goal. There's got to be other pockets of it. And I think for Scotland and for Thistles and this journey, it's it's not doing what they've always done. It's about, OK, well, I've asked them to think outside the box. I've asked them to jump on board with me. And I I've, I've want to see where we can take them and what we can do, but also what we can leave behind.
1: And what's your purpose, Tamsin? Why are you going on this new journey?
2: So when I stepped away from Wasps, it was building up to the World Cup year and, and I wanted to to work for Sky and have a break really mentally. I was kind of done. I'd just won four back-to-back titles. I'd been coaching a long time. I'd been playing a long time and I just needed that that time out for me and my family, but There is nothing quite like the buzz of being around a team and being there on match day. You you just don't get it anywhere else. And when you stop playing, the next best thing is coaching. And when you're not coaching, the next best thing is working for Sky. I kind of looked at it and went, I I need to do this. And I've always been honest about it. I went for the England job because that came up. And who wouldn't want to coach with the country they play for? And Scotland gave me a call. And it was the right people, right time. And that's important to me the people I'm working with now, the Claire Nelsons, the Karen Atkinsons, it's fun. I enjoy our Zoom calls and I enjoy what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to change. Claire is an amazing CEO and sees the game the way I see it. And I think there's something special about that. So I'm a firm believer in things come around at the right time. And this certainly did for me.
1: You're known for your intricate knowledge of the game, but also the creativity you bring to the game style. And I wanted to ask you, where do you take your inspiration as a coach when it comes to finding innovative ideas?
2: It's funny because I was, I was reading something the other day and I'm like, when is Damsin Greenway going to be back doing her analysis? She's like a mad scientist. And I, w- I was like, Oh, cheers. And they're like, no, 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 in a good way when you are there and you are in. And I think sort of the last few years, I think people have started to recognize that how passionate I am about the game and that I, I guess that knowledge behind it in terms of how I read the game, uh, the creativity comes in all different ways. I've always been involved in sport, always. So football at a young age, and you know, I was I was being taken down to football games age six. When I could walk fast enough to keep up with my dad and brother, I was allowed to go. So I used to walk quickly, which I still do now. And I played every sport under the sun. i had opportunities out in Australia. I've, I've travelled the world with netball. And I think, and then there was obviously people like Lynn Gunson. I think she was probably the key to looking and talking about the game differently and being creative in what you delivered. Because... Nothing was ever the same, and and it was such an eye opener for me coming from a kind of bog standard netball background, which I loved, but to suddenly have this this person and and you know sometimes she'd just be blagging, she'd do something that just wasn't working, she wouldn't stop the session, she would just like get on with it, but you you trust her and you just did it, and she kind of brought that beauty to it. What I look around at now is is just other coaches and other cultures and other teams, so. I love I love looking at when uh, a football team is doing really badly and they sack their coach and they bring in a new coach and you go wow well, how did how is the same group of people playing so differently under somebody and I I'm a Leicester supporter so watching that team in 2016 um, win the Premiership and and change football incredible and and I actually think it it highlighted so many other things it highlighted that you don't need the best players you need the best mix of players you need you needed the Danny Drinkwater to the Jamie Vardy. You 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 needed Kante. You needed Mares. And actually, individually in other teams, they're good, but together they're great. And some of that is just fluke. And especially in football, it's pure fluke. I don't think people do it enough. I don't think they build their teams around what style they want to look for. And so I'm constantly looking for for elements like that because it isn't just about who is the greatest. It's about how you get good people to become the greatest. And that is about the mix and how you bring it all together.
1: Tamsin, you have such a passion for Nipple, and you're right. You are a bit of a mad scientist when you're doing analysis, but I have another great quote from you and I'd like to read it to you actually before I post the question. And you say, Nipple is who I am. It's what I do and love. I have the full support of my family when it comes to taking on this role. And I think it's incredibly important to show that you can do both. You can have a family and also a career with aspirations and goals too. You don't have to choose. This was such a great quote, really, really resonated with me. And I wanted to ask you, what advice do you have for other people, whether they're in a work team or a sporting team or whatever it is, on finding more balance in their life?
2: Without getting all all female on it, I think one of the biggest things women have to deal with is the kids thing to the career thing. And in sport, it is just blown up because unlike a male sporting athlete you can't just you can carry on playing while your wife is pregnant and that's all fine for a female athlete you have to stop at some point there'll be a break in your career it has to stop and I think what that triggered that response was from when my name was getting thrown around for the England job and a lot of people going oh well she can't she's pregnant she's pregnant and I'm I'm thinking hang on a minute my life doesn't stop because I have kids I still have my own dreams and aspirations and actually I want to show my seven-year-old that you can do both However, flippantly saying those words isn't the same as actually acting them out. And it does take a toll on on your life and your family and and where you are. So it's by no no mean beat to have both and to share both, but it definitely can be done. And I think the biggest thing for me is making sure everybody's involved in the journey. And when you talk to athletes and you talk to coaches, coaching can be one of the loneliest jobs in the world if you let it. And when you're an athlete, you're incredibly selfish for such a long time. But I actually had a daughter and came back to play. I was one of the first people in the Super League to do it. And I I wanted to show you could do it. And actually, my pre-match routines changed. It wasn't about me getting enough sleep and making sure I'd eaten the right food. I was at a play center playing with my three-year-old before I was rushing down to the game, handing her over to someone who would look after her so I could go down and warm up and play. And I could still perform and do it. It's not always been the easiest. But I think if you can let loose a little bit and understand that actually if you can bring everybody into the mould so it's not just about you, you can make it something really special so people feel really part of it. That doesn't always help when you're ditching your kids and you're a fiancé and you're travelling up to Scotland again for the millionth time that year. But I think it's such an important part of making everybody involved in it and being able to leave your emotions when you come in the door. That's something I've had to learn to do when you lose, my family don't have to deal with that. That's something that needs to be left at the court side. And I need to come home and be the mum and the fiance and the normal Tamsin as well. So I've definitely learned to sort of, to mix it over the years and become a better person. I think for it.
1: You talked earlier actually about being too emotional, you know, too passionate with your team. and And now you're saying that you can leave those emotions at the door. Is there a routine or is it just a matter of flicking a switch and it all happens?
2: It's definitely come with experience. Losing used to be the the worst thing in the world and also a bit of an ego thing, I guess, as well. You know, when you put yourself out there to accept that you want to win and that you 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 think your team are good enough and you think this and you think that, you also get the backlash that comes with that because then people want to beat you. So it became quite personal for me. I think I realized quickly that actually it's probably a good thing in in many ways if you can get over that. And so I've learned to definitely enjoy the wins a lot more, which is again, something I didn't do. It was like onto the next thing, onto the next thing and to suck up the losses. And it's tough sometimes, but I think it, it can only come really with experience, with understanding. And I, and I think without sounding so lame on it, kids bring that different dimension. My two-year-old didn't give a flying whatever when she first saw me lose a final. You know what she wanted to do? Play with the confetti that had been shot over the other team. That's what she wanted to do. And so I had to accept that. And also becoming a player coach made me control those emotions a lot more because, you know, when I've got my team upset or gutted about something, they don't need to see me do that as well. They need me to be the one that goes, it's cool because you know what, we're going to work harder. We're going to analyze. We're going to do it. And next year we're going to come back and win. And I think that's what happened at Storm. We lost so many that by the time we won, it felt like it was meant to be. It kind of made it even more special. And I think that's where my emotions have definitely harnessed. Again, not always easy. And sometimes I have to take some time out a little bit before I come back. But when I'm back, I'm back to me.
1: Tamsin, you're still a very young coach. You've got many, many years ahead of you, but you've also already had so much success in multiple teams. We talked about legacy earlier, and I'd like to ask you, what's the legacy you think you've left so far as a coach?
2: I think for the people that have kind of followed and been on the journey, it's been more about the fact that you can do it. I wasn't a coach. I kind of told everybody I could be a coach and I've never followed the pathways you know I've never been that person that's done it by the book or been expected to do it I've always been a bit Marmite as a player and a coach you either love or hate the way that I do things and I think um, you know I carved out my career as a player I carved out my career as a coach and then I carved out my career in Sky and I think for those that have understood it and got it and seen where it's gone I think it's almost that little bit of hope that you you can do these things you can achieve it and you can have some fun along the way doing it as well. And I think the legacy from the players I guess would would hopefully I'd hope would say the, the creativity the difference in that every session has mattered and given up our time like I said it's the place you want to be even on the bad days and I think we've created some really special environments on the way and I've made lifelong friends to it so I'd I'd hope I'd hope that majority of the players I've worked with that would be that would be where they see it.
1: Tamsin, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great chatting to you. I wish you all the best with Team Scotland, unless you're playing against Australia.
2: (laughs) Thank you.
0: The Great Coaches Podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. You have been listening to our discussion with Tamsin Greenway. I especially liked Tamsin's view that as a female coach, your life doesn't stop because you have children. And I talked about this with my own daughters around the dinner table after the interview. The other key highlights for me were helping an athlete build self-confidence requires you to first understand what is causing their self-doubt and then working with them on a method to improve it that is tailored to their own specific needs and the importance of self-reflection to be honest with yourself about the things you are good and not so good at and lastly, how great coaches develop a culture where honest communication is a central behavior. In our next episode we will be speaking to American football coach,
0: Bill Curry. You're talking about linebackers. You're talking about tough guys that grew up in Los Angeles or Chicago or whatever, and you bring them in, and then you've got some more that are from the mountains, and they never been around a, a team that had more than 14 guys on it. You're bringing this amazing melting pot together, and it's an almost perfect picture of the United States of America. And one of the great privileges in life is to teach these guys how to love each other when they've been taught by our sick society to hate each other's guts.
1: And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes.